This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. And so we're in the first half of chapter 5 in our series, Abound in Hope, Holiness, and Love. And last week we looked at how this new church in Thessalonica was in the dark about the future of some of their church members that have passed, right? Those uh, who are asleep, as the text says. Paul says in 4.14, don't worry, God will bring with them, uh, with him, those who have fallen asleep. And like Tim said last week, Jesus has the authority and power to wake someone from the dead as if they were taking a nap, as if they were sleeping. And chapter 4 talks about those who have died in connection to Jesus' return. And now these 11 verses in chapter 5 is just the direction of the fate of those living followers of Jesus in connection to Jesus' return. I think Paul is trying to do uh, two things here in terms of changing their perspective and behavior in relation to the day of the Lord. He's calling them to action, to be prepared, but also to find rest knowing who they are in relation to Jesus and his second coming. But live your lives with attentiveness. There's purpose in your life. Don't live it aimlessly, but with intent. And the direction of our lives narrows when we, are of, when we are aware of what to expect ahead. When we are expectant or characterized by anticipation, it allows us to live differently. It allows us to live expectantly. And that's our title for our sermon this morning, Live Expectantly. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 through 11. And here's our big idea. Live expectantly for Jesus' return while resting in the hope of Jesus' return. Live expectantly for Jesus' return while resting in the hope of Jesus' return. And we'll get into the ways of how to do this, how to live expectantly. But in this text, we first see reasons why the church followers of Jesus ought to live in a state of preparedness. And uh, typically, when you put these two phrases together, the day of the Lord, when, when Jesus comes back and uh, live in a state of preparedness, your mind might wander towards an image of chaos and fire and destruction. But I wanted to share an image that I think is a better uh, representation of how we can feel and how we can act thinking about how Jesus returned. It's this right here. Boom. Right there. This is what the Coles Museum uh, last week with Sarah and Caden. That's my son. Sarah gets, or Caden gets into my sermon every Sunday, right? Normal parents show pictures of their child at the park. I put it on the projection when I preach. Uh, But this face, it's ready. He's ready, but not in panic, right? This face, it's alert. It's alert, but he's sitting. There's some peaceness and calmness. See, when we abound in hope, it gives us comfort today and comfort till the end. It gives us peace from God. And our hope ought to abound or increase so abundantly that instead of a, a vibe of fear, Pertaining to the day of the Lord, that to lead to a vibe of encouragement, of inspiration, of comfort for one another. And so, yes, we must live with an aim to be obedient to Jesus and his mission and also rest in Jesus' return. 
And so let's get into the text, and I'll give you the first of three reasons right after I read this and in ways of how to live expectantly, but let's read the first three verses of chapter 5 in 1 Thessalonians. Follow along. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need, you have, uh, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. Times and seasons is linked to the eschatological event of Jesus' return. Right? In Greek, the chronos uh, and the karyos, the time that is measured in units and the time that is measured in moments. Right? Paul is saying regarding the time of Jesus' return, there's no need to write anything about it because it's unknown. But he still writes it, right? even though the people of Thessalonica knew this. And he does it, he does it a few times in this letter, right? no need to write it, but he still does it. And this is to bring deeper comfort and a necessary reminder of what they know already. Right? It's important to hear what we might already know so that we can find further comfort in these truths. And so God's word and truth can sit in our hearts. And so during Jesus' ministry, right, he did not even know his return, as Matthew 24, 36 says. Right, Jesus is fully God, but this shows the humanity of Christ. He chose to restrict himself of this knowledge that only the Father had for the sake of humbling himself in submission to his Father. And however, after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, all authority on heaven and on earth have been given to him. So he's aware of his second coming. Jesus is coming back, and no one knows it except the triune God. And part of following Jesus is believing in Jesus' identity and mission. Who he is, what he has done, and what he will do. Nothing will stop his return. It is inevitable. It is certain, cannot be avoided. That was our first point, by the way, the inevitable event of Jesus' return. And uh, Paul uses two illustrations linking the day of the Lord, uh, a thief and a pregnant woman. Uh, true story, when my mom was pregnant with me, and um, she went into labor, and so her and my dad went to Lutheran General. She was, they were just like five minutes away at that time. And the next day, their apartment got robbed. So sad, right? They stole Gold, a VCR, they stole money. You know, I kind of feel like it's my fault. <laughs> I offered them to buy a, them a VCR, but they said no, because I asked them last week. And so if you, know, you want to know the extent of a combo event of labor and a thief surprise, ask my mom. She'll share with you what this verse means. Jesus says in Revelation 16.5, Behold, 16.15, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed are the one who stays awake. No one knows the arrival of a thief. It is without warning. Let's, let's read out verse 3 again. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. There are quotations around peace and security because Paul is citing, right? He didn't want to get caught for plagiarism. In some history to understand the citation, remember Thessalonica was considered a free city, 
in the Roman Empire, meaning it had special privileges of controlling their own identity or political affairs, making it unlike other cities in the Roman Empire where the military set up the government. So they were able to experience being a free city to govern themselves as long as one thing remained, right? Homage to the Roman Empire and emperor. And one commentary says it like this, the Romans vigorously promoted themselves as those who secured not only peace but security. One of the various public media that Roman leaders used to promote themselves as providers of peace and security was the minting of coins, which would be disseminated, disseminated throughout the empires. Right? Coins served as portable billboards by which Rome mar- marketed itself. The widely issued coins bore the image of the goddess Pax, or peace, on one side and the images of the emperors on the other side. The same thing is true, though less frequent, with the goddess of security. And they erected monuments and giving credit to the Roman military and political leaders for finally restoring peace and security once and for all. Paul was giving a warning to those who trusted the political and military power of Rome instead of God. And for those who look for, tr- for trust, those who look to find trust and peace and security in anything outside of God, You're putting your trust in a false peace and false security. It will fail you. It will disappoint you. And for us, that could be our military. It can be a a political party or leader. But also it can be your your finances, your health, your happiness, where there is no peace and security outside of faith in Jesus. Whatever peace and security the world offers, even that will not escape the judgment of God. Just like a pregnant woman, when labor pains come, it is inevitable. There is no escape. There's only one way forward. Paul is speaking the hard truth, a reality that applies to everyone. Talking about his return. Let's keep reading for the second reason in verses 4 through 8. Follow along. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. The second point, three reasons to live expectantly. The second one is this. God allows us to prepare for Jesus' return. God allows us to prepare for Jesus' return. And Paul contrasts between light and darkness, night and day, sober and drunk. And what he's focusing is on uh, two statuses, right? two groups. The status of those who believe Jesus is Lord who lives a life of repentance through, light, through faith and a life of receiving grace upon grace. Those who believe are children of God, one family united in Christ that will be saved from God's wrath. However, we'll still have a final judgment like everyone else. Right, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 
that we'll be accountable for how we've stewarded what God has given us. But this includes time, relationship, talent, money, how we've lived our lives in accordance with God's word. Children of God are light because God is light. Our status is found in Christ's righteousness through faith. And so at the final judgment, Romans 8 says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Those who have accepted Jesus as their Savior have a different status to those who do not believe in Jesus. Whereas darkness and night correspond to the status of those who do not believe in Jesus. They will not escape God's just wrath. Their state is a state of sinfulness and willful neglect of God's word and his son, which leads to eternal separation from God in hell. And acknowledge that this is a difficult and heavy comparison. We have loved ones who do not believe in Jesus or those who have passed already. Acknowledge that. Only God knows the state of an individual's heart. And we can only look to God, not for answers, but for peace in those circumstances. Because peace comes with the status of being God's children. Right? This applies to his return as well. We can be at peace and at rest knowing of Jesus' return while not knowing the timing of his return. That comes with the status of being Light, right? Rest comes with a status of being with God's children. But it's up to us if we want to accept that and choose that at times. Are we going to go to God or are we going to try to work it out on our own? What are we supposed to do with this status? What are we supposed to do with this status? Well, verse 6 says, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. I texted this verse to uh, Georgie and Sybil when they had a, their baby a month ago. I encouraged them. They're doing a great job applying this verse, and staying awake and uh, being sober because of baby Henry. But this isn't a literal exhortation to stay awake and not drink alcohol. It's a command to be ready. It's to be ready. We're called to prepare for Jesus' return. Well, how do we do this? Verse 8 provides the means that we already have in our position, possession, right? But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Faith in God, loving one another and hope and salvation. It's almost like he's telling us to abound in these things again. But how do we practically put on this breastplate? How do we put on the helmet, right? Here are three ways. How do we prepare for Jesus' return? The first one, pursue God. Pursue God. Our faith in God refers to our relationship with God. We're, we're all here this morning, and Jesus hasn't come back yet at this moment. But right now, we are all presently here with purpose. And one of God's purpose for us is to seek him, is to know him, is to live for him. And the Bible is filled with these verses to seek God. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. 
you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This one has been a good one for me this year. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Young lion, and it's prime, king of the jungle. Even it will suffer. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. To pursue God, it means that we're actively talking to him. Every Sunday morning at 9.30 in the lobby, man, we are pursuing God through prayer. But don't just do it here. Do it at your home, at your work, with others. Pursuing God means we're trusting him, and, and maybe God is calling you to step out and trust him deeper. That is pursuing God. Pursuing God also means not hindering our relationship with God. It doesn't mean hindering our relationship with God by delaying certain things that God wants from us. Pursuing God means not delaying obedience. It means not delaying repentance. It means not delaying extending forgiveness. These things will hinder your pursuit with God. So let me ask you, how is your pursuit with God? How are you seeking him? Because it is a way for us to prepare for Jesus' return is to seek him. And man, we'll lack no good thing. Here's the second one. Persevere in love. Persevere in love and sometimes we put loving God and loving others at the end of the list where it needs be is at the beginning, in the center of our lives. We're underestimating our role in loving God and loving others as our mission is undermining Matthew 22, the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment is to love God. The second is like it, love people. He's given us the great commission and the great commandment to carry out until we are no longer or, or until Jesus comes back. Love is a choice. We can choose to prepare ourselves by encouraging one another, by serving one another, by praying for one another. And it's difficult because loving people is hard. But that's what we've been called to do. Persevere in love. It will prepare us for his return. So how are you persevering in loving God? How, it's, how has it been with loving others. How are we doing with that? Here's a third way we can prepare. Prioritize eternity. Prioritize eternity. And when you've got an upcoming event, a busy week of work or a wedding or a vacation or a party, it alters the way we plan and do life in preparation for that event. I had a bit more complicated week this week due to childcare scheduling, just a, a full week due to commitment. So every day I attempted to do what was requir- required to prepare me for the next event, including this morning. And we're quick to think about the next thing every time we finish the last thing. We're just thinking about the next thing. And at times, man, this can be such a worldly way of thinking, just thinking about the next thing. One event that we cannot afford to not prepare is for eternity. 
Eternity is too big and too valuable to not prioritize. And yet we sometimes prioritize the next day without mind. And so how do we prioritize eternity? Anticipate meeting Jesus. Anticipate meeting Jesus. A question for all of us. How would you feel if in the next hour you were going to meet Jesus? Would you feel happy? Would you feel ashamed? Embarrassed? Afraid? I'm not asking the question, are you ready to die or ready to go to heaven and escape the nonsense and the responsibilities of this world? I'm not talking about just leaving what we have to do here. But the question is, are you ready to meet Jesus, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings? When we have this in mind and anticipate the event of when we meet Jesus, our today and tomorrow will be in preparation for that event. We'll repent in preparation. We'll serve him here in preparation. We'll invest and support to further his kingdom in preparation. We'll make disciples in preparation. We'll raise and teach our children in preparation. We'll work in our workplaces with eternity in mind. We'll look at people differently. We'll worship him now in preparation for the ultimate worship in heaven. Prioritize eternity by anticipating to meet Jesus. How would your day look different if you're going to meet Jesus tomorrow? We pursue God. We love him and others. We set our minds on things above and not earthly things because this is what Jesus did when he was on earth. He pursued the will of God. Right? He selflessly loved and prayed for his enemies. He carried out the Father's will, which led him to the cross knowing that eternal life for us laid ahead of the cross, preparing to be with God by doing the will of God. And I pray that as a people, as a church, that we will be ready to meet Jesus, our King. Let's get to the last reason by reading verses 9 through 11. 9 through 11, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. The third reason why we ought to live expectantly is because our our destiny is secured in Jesus' return. Our destiny is secured in Jesus' return. Part of living expectantly is resting in hope. The reason we can rest is because of these verses right here. He is emphasizing why those who believe and follow Jesus can find comfort in Jesus' return. Any fear or anxiety that is linked with the day of the Lord ought to be replaced with the hope that is rooted in God's call in your life. God's call is always effective, and our hope, our hope is rooted in God's call. And the theology of uh, wrath isn't a, a popular topic in church nowadays, or it's extremism, where wrath is only preached without hope. 
The wrath of God it isn't an uncontrolled outburst of God's anger. It's not God having a tantrum like a child. God's wrath is the justified response of God towards sin. His wrath is real. And it is to be feared upon. If you believe God is holy, 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 then you must also believe in the wrath of God as a part of his holiness. God's love without God's wrath skews the character of God. But Nahum 1-2 says, The Lord is jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. And God's salvation through Christ is what we need the most due to our sin, due to the problem of sin that we have, which leads to the just response of God's wrath. Right, salvation is being saved from God's wrath. Right, wrath is the backdrop of salvation. Right, being saved means no longer being an enemy of God, but being a child of God. God's wrath is what makes salvation the greatest gift you can ever receive and the only thing that you will ever need. Jesus is all that you will ever need. Verse 9 says, For God has not destined us for wrath. Right? The current hardships and suffering you are facing. The illness you've been battling for years. The waiting for a spouse or a child. The financial struggle. The loss of a loved one. The emotional or physical abuse you've gone through. Man, that is not God's wrath bestowed upon you. However, the fallout of sin from the beginning has caused us to live in a broken world where sin has distorted everything, our current trials and afflictions that we have because of our faith is not a result of God's wrath. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We deserve the wrath of God because of our sin. However, that's not what God destined us for. Because something had to happen for that wrath to be taken away. But we get to freely receive this gift because through Jesus, we get to freely receive this gift through Jesus. He did something for that wrath to be taken away. He did something for that wrath to be taken away. Matthew 26 to 38 and 39, the night of the arrest and betrayal of Jesus. Jesus is saying this at the garden. He's praying this. My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Jesus knew that he was the only way to satisfy the wrath of the Father by taking God's wrath, and he did it in obedience to the Father. God the Father knew this, and yet he still sent his Son, who, who he loves perfectly, knowing what he had to do. And what did he do? Verse 10, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. He died. 
Not only did he die, but he died for us. Not only did he die for us, but he did it with the purpose so that we could be with him. Man, that's our hope right there. That is why we can be ready to meet Jesus, knowing what he has done for us already. And if we are in Christ, right, even our death cannot stop our, uh, Jesus' pursuit of desiring to be with us. Whether we are alive in Jesus' return or have passed, it does not change what Christ has done for us already. Right? Jesus is coming back. It is inevitable. And all the time that we've had until the point, until this point is God delaying his wrath and showing us grace. However, we will all face judgment when he returns. But are we ready to meet Jesus? Are we ready for his coming? Because we have the opportunity to live expectantly for Jesus' return while resting in our hope in Jesus' return. It's a call to be prepared and a call to be comforted in Jesus' return. Man, if you don't know Jesus, man, I urge you to pursue him. Read the word, to talk about it, to ask questions. Come find me. Right? Your eternity is too important for me to not ask you this. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? And what helped me to find comfort in Jesus' return, what helped me to anticipate meeting Jesus is not just thinking of myself in this encounter. There's another person there. It's Jesus. Thinking of Jesus in the encounter. And uh, John Stott says this, it is not just that Christ is coming. The fact can cause anxiety rather than reassurance. No, it is the further truth that the Christ who is coming to us is the very same Christ who died for us and rose again. Man, isn't that amazing? It's amazing to know that my king is waiting to meet me. The same king who died for me is the same king who is coming back. Man, that's comforting what he has already done for me. Man, I can't wait to meet him. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.